Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're an Uber driver, if you deliver for Uber Eats, if you drive for Amazon Flex, if you're doing anything with your car that involves business, and it's not just, you know, using it for your average commute to get to and from work. If your vehicle is because of your work, this is what you need to get around. I really need you to get a dash cam. And look, I'm going to tell you really quickly about one that is from Navman. It's called the MyView 150 Safety. And this is the kind of one that I do think is perfect for somebody in an Uber type situation, somebody who is using their car for work, but also perhaps uses their car for weekend commutes and things like that. So this particular model, it doesn't break the bank. We're talking about $169 as a recommended retail price. It got it has all the bells and whistles though, the GPS tagged video, full HD 1080p recording. It's got that wide angle lens, so it is going to capture everything that's happening in front of you even to the sides. It even has interesting features like EcoDrive, which actually measures how well you're driving from an economical point of view. If you're too hard on the brakes, too hard on the accelerator, it actually helps measure that so that you can try and hopefully become a better driver, which effectively mean less servicing on the car, less petrol costs and things like that. But also as somebody who is spending time on the road more than the average Joe, it does have safety camera alerts. It's got fatigue alerts as well if you need to stop, revive, survive every two hours. And even reminders to turn on the headlights if you've just left the car park or if it's coming up to dusk or anything like that. So it is a camera that isn't just recording everything that happens in front of you. It actually is trying to alert you about other types of things as well. So that's why it's got the big safety in the name. And I really encourage people like like you perhaps to check something like this out because honestly, it could be a huge difference on everything you're doing as a driver who's doing it on the road for business. I think it's very, very critical to check out all the products at navman.com.au. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on with the show. Jeff Quattromani, multi-Australian in Sydney. Expert Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now it's time to talk technology with Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Whenever it is that you are listening to this show, thank you for tuning in and thank you for taking a minute to get your tech update. Because honestly, if you're not getting your tech update once a week, you're just going to be left behind. You'll be standing there talking to friends and families or colleagues and they'll bring up something and you don't know anything about it. How embarrassing. Be the person who has all the conversation starters based on what you're hearing in this fabulous podcast, I hope. Now, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, today, whenever it is, again, that you are listening to, I am sipping on a glass of Pinot Grigio from a company called Millen. Now, I've drunk wines from these guys in recent weeks, and this is the first time having their Pinot Grigio. I think their reds were better than their whites, to be honest. Uh, this particular one, I'm enjoying it, but I, I preferred it more when I was having dinner. So over dinner, this was a perfect wine to accompany food on its own. I find it a bit harsh, a little bit you know, a bit scratchy on the throat, if I'm honest. It's almost like a bit of a COVID wine that you're having if you have it by itself. Millen definitely don't want me to be saying that. But having it with food is just the right way to have this particular bottle. Um, it's only 18 bucks, so it's not an expensive bottle of wine, especially if you are sitting down with some, with some fish. Uh, it would go absolutely perfect with a nice piece of white, beautiful fish, you know, a piece of whiting or something like that. Now, again, not that expensive, 18 bucks. I'm enjoying it but I just think it goes better with food than it does while I'm just rattling off on the podcast. Now, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about a number of things. Uh, we've got some tech news. We're also going to talk about the downfall, I guess, a bit of a, a bit of a look through history in what happened to BlackBerry. You know, last week with CES going on, uh, there was also the announcement that it was the shutdown of BlackBerry services. For anybody who still was hanging on to older BlackBerry devices, they officially no longer work. And, you know, people who have been listening to this show for a long time would probably know this, or if you were following my YouTube journey when I was much younger, 
I was a massive BlackBerry fanboy, and I'm looking forward to sort of taking a look back through time. My experience with BlackBerry, I got very close to the brand, and uh, and I can't wait to sort of tell you what I saw and how I think they really did go wrong, um, not just because of the invention of the iPhone. But you know, I want to talk real quick about a product from Natatmo. Now, if you haven't heard about what Natatmo do, they have a number of different smart home products, and one of the ones that I've been testing since moving uh, to this new house is their weather station. Now, I think that weather reporters lately are just getting it wrong. I mean, the, and, and I guess as someone who's now relying on the weather to know whether I can mow the lawn the next day or not, especially when you live on 15 acres, um, the weather's important. Whereas in the past, I probably didn't care as much. Rain, hail, shine, that's fine. I lived in a smaller, smaller place. But having a weather station means that I'm hoping that I can keep a closer eye on the weather of where I am. And the outdoor weather station is, is interesting because it tells me the exact temperature outside. I do get a forecast from Natatmo as well. But the indoor weather station is something that I probably didn't take, I didn't really take much notice of until I installed it. And it was fascinating because I actually put it in my office here. And this room that I'm in, it's not air conditioned. And to be honest, most of the time during the day, the door is shut. There's a separate door that can go outside that is shut as well. And especially if it's a hot day. And it's fascinating to get these notifications from the Natatmo about the temperature when the temperature is getting past 25 degrees, I can get an alert. But the most interesting one is around CO2 emissions. Now, I guess when you do have a room completely enclosed and you've got computers running, there's a 65 inch TV in here, which is running as well. Um, the, I start getting notifications around the air quality in the room being poor. There's no ventilation, there's no windows open. So it starts to give me alerts about that, which was something I never thought I would get from this weather station, but it's been fascinating. Now, in talking to people this week about it, um, someone told me that they have one of these and they also put one in their wine cellar. So they get notifications about their humidity and things like that in their wine cellar, which is critical to taking care of their wine. Uh, and some people have multiple of these. You can also get a rain gauge. You can get a wind um, measurement tool, which has a proper name, but I'm obviously not that good. It's called the wind gauge. Um, I think there's an actual more scientific name for it as well. But I'm really tempted to bolt on the weather rain gauge because I do for some reason, just want to know how much rain fell the night before and things like that. We've been having a bit of rainy days here and it's just, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe I'm getting old and the weather is starting to become more interesting to me than it was uh, when I was younger. You tell me. But the weather station I've been testing, it's about $279. If you're into your weather, you'd love to pay attention to what's happening outside or even you want to pay more attention to what's happening inside. Uh, something like that could be the, the type of product for you. Now, news this week. There's been a bunch. We're going to talk about some fitness gadgets that has been announced from Nordic Track. We're going to unpack what Samsung announced around the new Galaxy smartphone. There is a fan edition available. I want to try and break that down for you. Help you decide if you are looking to upgrade your smartphone, which one is right for you. We're going to talk really quickly about an app called Locket, uh, which for iPhone users could be the next exciting app for you. And the Turkish are putting VR headsets on cows. I'm going to help try and explain why. And then we'll get into the downfall of BlackBerry. Bring your tissues. Now, a company called Nordic Track has been around for a little while and they've been making smart fitness equipment, whether it's bikes, you can get a mirror that you can work out in front of, there are treadmills. Uh, there's a number of products that they do have, which some of them have live guided classes like we've spoken about with Echelon and Peloton before. Um, but one of the ones that products that they have announced is something I haven't seen before and it's focusing more on weights because I think when it comes to fitness gadgets, most of them are really focused around cardio, realistically, you know, bike equipment, rowing equipment, running equipment, the wearables that we have usually track steps, calories burned based on heart rate, 
but not a lot actually focuses on lifting weights. And the one that they've announced is fascinating to me. We're talking about voice controlled dumbbells. So imagine talking to your voice assistant, and I won't call it out in case you've got one in the room at the moment, but you call your voice assistant's name and you say, set the weight for the bicep curls. Or call out a specific weight number, set the weight for something between five and 50 pounds, so I guess 25 kilos. And it automatically does that. Now, it does it by having these dumbbells in a tray. And the tray has all these plates. And effectively, I guess, once you ask for what your, uh, what your desire is, it pre-selects the plates for you so that when you do lift them out, it lifts out the correct number that you're after. Now, with Nordic Track, you actually have guided workouts. So effectively, you'll, you've got an iPad or a TV in front of you. And then as it's saying to you, pick up the dumbbells, whatever it is, it's automatically adjusting the weights of those dumbbells before you actually pick them up. So for different movements, you'll probably want different amounts of weight. If you're doing bicep curls compared to overhead press, you might want a different weight because your muscles may not be able to take the same weight for everything and nor should they. So this is absolutely fascinating that we're going to have weights that can adjust based on your voice automatically. Now, what they don't do and something I really want to see something like this get to a point of is where it starts to count for you. So say, for example, I'm doing bicep curls and, you know, as I lift them up, lift them down, wouldn't it be great if on screen, the workout that I'm following, it actually said, you've done one, you've done two, you've done three. And if I didn't do it properly, it doesn't count it. Or it tells me that it hasn't been lifted high enough or something like that. I haven't seen that type of technology come to weights yet, but knowing that they're thinking about it, knowing that they're at least allowing this adjustable dumbbell set to be available is so, so cool. Now, it looks like it's going to cost more than $400. So it's not going to be a very cheap set of dumbbells. Um, it obviously comes with the whole workout kit and things like that. It's more of an ecosystem. But how fascinating it is to see something like this coming. I've already reached out to Nordic Track to try and get hold of one of these when it does come to Australia. Obviously, just recently announced. So nothing quite confirmed yet as to when that would be the case. Now, if you're in the market for a new smartphone and you're set on a Samsung, Samsung announced the Galaxy S21 Fan Edition or FE. Uh, it's a 5G smartphone and it's always a fascinating time when that does come out because when the Fan Edition comes out, it's almost the last device before they announce the next Galaxy flagship phone. Now we do expect that in probably three, four, maybe less than five weeks time, the new Galaxy S22 will be announced, their big flagship phone. But when you announce the FE just a month prior, people may still pay attention. And it's usually a cheaper phone than their flagship. And in this case, it certainly is. But you have to really look at these things side by side to help understand whether you're getting the right phone here. So at less than $1,000, you can now get a Galaxy S21 in the fan edition. It's a 5G smartphone, which I absolutely love. It comes in four colors. It comes in like a black, an olive, a lavender, and a white. I actually really like the olive. It looks like an army green. Um, a totally different screen size than what you can get in the S21 5G or the S21 Plus 5G, um, 6.4 inches. So it's actually a pretty in-between type size, uh, slightly bigger than the S21, but smaller than the S21 Plus. And it gets really interesting. The screen type is the same, dynamic AMOLED. The dimensions in terms of thickness and things like that, pretty much identical. Uh, the weight, 177 grams compared to 169 grams or 200 grams. Screen refresh rate, all 120 hertz. It's got pretty much the same cameras until it gets to the telephoto, which is the one which um, you would know with the S21. It actually has this huge 
telephoto zoom, whereas this one has an eight megapixel telephoto zoom, which means, heck, it might still be 10 times, but it's not going to be 60 times, for example. Front camera has actually been upgraded to a 32 megapixel camera. And I think it's got a better field of view than the S21. The battery is bigger, so it's got 4,500 milliamp hour battery compared to a 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Same amount of RAM at 128 gigs of base storage as well. Can be done as a 256, just like the S21 5G, but it's cheaper. Most of the differences here are materialistic, as in it's a more plastic type phone. Imagine, remember the one that had the iPhone color? It was really just an iPhone, but it had a plastic backing. This is kind of in that same fashion, is it's got a full plastic backing, no metal frame around the camera. Um, but compared to the S21 5G at $1249, as, as cheap as that is in terms of being discounted since it originally launched, $1249, you're seeing this at $999. So fantastic, you can save 300 bucks if you wanted to get this one now, or you could wait until the S22 is announced and either get an S22, depending on that, which will certainly be more expensive, but you could get that and have the latest and greatest. But what impact do you think will be on the S21 Fan Edition when the S22 launches? I'm pretty sure the S21 Fan Edition is gonna get a lot cheaper very, very quickly. So you can either buy it and have it as a fantastic phone today, Maybe wait three weeks time, they announce the S22 and watch maybe even the S21 5G or the S21 Ultra reduce heavily in price and potentially score a bargain. I think it's fascinating that Samsung left it so late to announce the fan edition that I feel like they missed the mark. I actually think they should have announced this at the same time as the iPhone announcement in September. If they did that and said, you know what, Apple's announced their new phone, they're so much more expensive, have you heard of our fan edition? That would have potentially been a perfect time to do it. Maybe with the whole semiconductor shortages and things like that, it prevented them from doing so. But I feel like they've left it far too late to really capitalize on what the fan edition could be. Because at that price, at 999, we would actually be talking about this as a, in a bigger way had it been much earlier than the next potential announcement, which we know is always in February. It's very much coming up soon. There's no secrets about it. So if you're in the market for a phone, yes, you could go and get this. I would really suggest that you wait, despite it sounding very good on paper. I think there may be more around the corner. Now, one other app I want to quickly talk about, it's called Locket, L-O-C-K-E-T. It's starting to really climb the charts. And whenever an app starts to do that, I have to have a look. Whenever you start to, I, I like, I'm, I geek out. I look at the top 10 charts regularly. Um, I particularly do it on Boxing Day. It helps me understand what people got for Christmas because the certain apps that go with those gifts tend to climb up the ladder um, and it's reflected on Boxing Day. Locket has been popping up. And for those, this is only for iPhone. So for those who have an iPhone and you've updated to the latest iOS that has the widgets, there's an app that you can get called Locket, which effectively allows you to send images to maybe between yourself and your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or your wife or a friend. And it appears in a widget. So when they send you a picture, that widget that sits on your home screen instantly updates with the image that they've sent you. It's a very simple way of sharing photos between one another without having to go into a separate app to open it every time, to see the notification, to open up the message and view the image. This is something that it could just be a photo of, of them while they're having lunch. It could be just a photo that, I don't know, they're blowing a kiss. I don't know. Whatever couples send one another, it could just be in a widget that sits on your home screen. And that's a very smart thing to do. The app was made by just a random dude who wanted to make it for him and his girlfriend. Friends of his started to hear about it and then they decided to just put it on the app store and it's gone bonkers. It's, I think they did a TikTok video which made it really go bananas. It's gone viral. 
it's fascinating to me. So Locker, it's a free app. If you and your partner are known for sending photos to each other quite often, this could be a really simple way of just having it on your home screen. Nothing to have to open. It's just so much simpler. They don't get deleted when they send the next image. There actually is an archive section as well. Um, but for iPhone users, you might want to check that out. Now, before we get into the story behind BlackBerry, some big news, guys. Some massive news out of Turkey. Um, Turkish farmers, they've tried using virtual reality, um, not on themselves, on their cows. So one thing that they've been doing, and this is crazy, is I'm trying to think 180 cattle. 180 cows, which they use for milk, so dairy cows. They're putting VR headsets on them because they're discovering that if the cows can see a more calmer environment like grass rolling hills, then they actually produce a better yield of milk. So they're actually getting, this is crazy, they used to produce 22 liters of milk a day. I'm assuming that's per cow. Now the average milk with the headsets has reached 27 liters. They're saying nothing else has changed. The diet's the same, everything else is the same. But when they're wearing these VR headsets and looking at these rolling hills, and they said they're also playing classical music through the speakers in the entire dairy, because maybe that's apparently helping them too, they're now getting an extra five liters of milk per cow. And I guess at 180 cows, that's a lot of milk. Now, I guess the payoff in terms of the VR headsets, I mean, you have to put them on the cow, you have to press play, you have to ask the cow, can you see it? Does it look good? Can you hear me? Are you enjoying it? It's just bizarre. I don't know whose job it is to mount the VR headsets onto the cows every morning. I am assuming they get taken off at some point and they get to see reality. I can't imagine them watching VR content 24-7. Uh, this is absolutely crazy. They're now saying that they're going to um, reduce it down to one VR headset per cow. So they're just going to cover one of the eyes and put a VR headset on just one eyeball instead of having one on each. And that's going to make it cheaper so they can actually then have more VR headsets or on more cows by just applying one. Um, I guess Oculus or whoever have not invented a very wide singular VR headset that fits a cow's head. They're too focused on human beings. How silly of them. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. In Turkey, they are getting more milk from their cows by putting them in a virtual reality environment. Now, I don't know what that means for human beings. If we're wearing virtual reality headset, what do we produce more? I have no idea, but the Turkish, they're figuring out things with milk. So if you're a milk drinker, just write to your dairy. If you've got a VR headset left over, send it to them. They need them. They need VR headsets to get more milk from more cows. Now, after this, ladies and gentlemen, let's get straight into BlackBerry. You may have heard of them. You may have had one. You may have had many. I have a cupboard full of them. I have a long history with BlackBerry, and I'm looking forward to telling you about where they've been, where they fell over, and some of the things that I noticed along the way. Now, this is probably going to be more from a business lens. And I, I have to caveat that because while I talk technology to consumers on a, on a regular basis, in my day job uh, working in the IT industry, I've been front and center with BlackBerry for a number of reasons. And, you know, growing up and moving into corporate world as I started to leave school and things like that, um, the whole idea of having a smartphone was a bit foreign. You know, if most people, when they got their first work phone, it may have been just a simple Nokia device so that your, your manager could call or text you. I remember my first smartphone, I guess, I'm calling that loosely, was a Palm Pre. And it was a big, big device, very thick and chunky, but it had a larger screen than you would see on a regular Nokia device, but it had a full keyboard and you could read your email on there. 
it was incredible that you could have your email on a device that you could open and send whenever you wanted to without having to turn your computer on, without connecting to a VPN. It just worked. Your emails came in, you could reply, and you felt like a magician. And you, were, you would jump when an email came in because you were so excited that this marvel of technology continued to work and you could make that happen. And then I remember m- moving to an organization that had Blackberries in their fleet. Um, all of the staff were given Blackberries. It was that sort of list that when you started with the company, you got your laptop, you got your Blackberry. And you also got accessories with that BlackBerry normally, and it usually involved something like a leather slip-in case or a belt clip for your BlackBerry. Um, people, a lot of people used to clip Blackberries to their belts. I mean, that sounds crazy now to clip your iPhone to your belt, but people used to do, do this back in the day. Now, BlackBerry's had a very long run. I mean, I, I talked about the Palm, as, the Palm as my first sort of venture into smartphones, but BlackBerry had been around at a well before that as well. They had been offering uh, smart devices like that for a number of years. Now, this is early 2000s. Now, my first BlackBerry, I remember it really well. It was a BlackBerry 7100. Um, it looked more like a Nokia device, more of a, a thinner phone where individual keys usually doubled as two letters. Now, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what a BlackBerry is, it had a screen and it had a full keyboard normally where each button was an individual letter. Um, the more slimmer devices usually put two letters per key. And it was honestly wicked fast to type emails. I still remember to this day, I could punch out an email so much faster than I could on a touch screen. I, I, I could race anybody on a BlackBerry today. And I promise you, I can type faster, even with predictive text on your, on your fancy smartphone. BlackBerry keyboards just had a feel to them. Now, BlackBerry 7100, one of my first um, BlackBerry smartphones, I remember then we moved into the BlackBerry 8700. And what was unique about that particular model, while it had a full-size keyboard, which was quite new at that time, it had a color dis- color, full color display, but it also had a scroll wheel on the side. And that meant that as you were working through your emails, you didn't have to push any arrow keys or anything like that to go up and down your emails. You could scroll using a wheel with your thumb. A really simple idea, but it was brilliant. And it was another thing that people started to be addicted to was that. The other thing that people were extremely addicted to when it came to Blackberries wasn't just the fact that they were getting their emails on there and they were addicted to receiving their email like I just mentioned, but there used to be an LED on every BlackBerry device, a very small LED at the top of the phone that if there was a notification on anything to do with the phone, email, SMS, whatever, that little red LED would just pulse and it would just be on, off, on, off, on, off. And I remember I would wake up at night, even if it was you just glanced your eyes slightly open to see what time it was or to look outside to see if the sun had risen yet. If you saw that red light flashing, you grabbed your phone. You simply grabbed your phone. There was something about that little red light that made anybody around the world know they had to attend to something on their phone. That notification meant something. It's interesting that no smartphones have been picking up on that kind of technology. I mean, I say technology, it's very basic, but you have to touch your phone. You have to do something on your phone to see the home screen to know where there's a notification. It's weird that no one's picked up on just implementing a small LED that tells you there's something waiting for you on the device. It really did, for me, trigger what the whole term around Crackberry. People used to nickname them crackberries because you were addicted to them. And that, I think that red light had a lot to play with it. Now, the way that BlackBerry worked and the reason that enterprises were so gung-ho on Blackberries was their security. It was a safe way of putting corporate email onto a device. Yes, you could use it for your personal Gmail account and things like that. But your BlackBerry internet traffic went from a device on, you know, from your, your handheld phone via your corporate network. Now, it did that because... You had to have, back then, 
what was called a BlackBerry Enterprise Service, a BEZ. And that was a separate server that would run. It was attached to your email server, as in your Microsoft Exchange server, and it would manage the traffic. You would have to enroll the device in your corporate network on the BlackBerry Enterprise Service to secure the device, make sure communication was secure, but it would actually, by doing so, would also provide you with internet access so you could browse the web on your BlackBerry. So you could go through on and use apps like Facebook and things like that, which eventually came to BlackBerry too. But it was incredible that if you were on a BlackBerry plan, you know, if you were with Telstra, Optus, wherever it was, they would put you on a BlackBerry plan so that it would connect to a Bez. You couldn't connect to a BlackBerry Enterprise service if you were just on a regular data plan. So once you can, had a BlackBerry plan, this is crazy. When you had a BlackBerry plan on a, on a phone, you actually had unlimited data. Now I'm talking about early 2000s when data was expensive. But if you had a Bez and you could run your BlackBerry traffic through a BlackBerry plan, you paid one price per month and it was unlimited data. That's just the way it was. That's why people used to balk at the idea of having any other smartphone because businesses could have a device that wasn't terribly expensive. Sure, they had to pay for a BlackBerry server and the licensing around that. But from a month-to-month point of view, it was cheap. It was very cheap to manage because you had no other costs. Nothing could blow out. It was that simple. So you had the bears and you had this secure email service that you worked. From an IT perspective, as in someone like me who was a sysadmin and things like that, if an employee rang up their manager and said, I'm going to a competitor, I quit, a quick message to me meant that I could wipe their BlackBerry. I could lock it remotely. I could do whatever I liked. We could completely manage those devices. If they left it at a bar, if they lost it, if they left it in a taxi, one quick message and we would lock it down. That would be it. Yes, they already had maybe had a passcode on the device or something like that. But if we were really worried about the email that was sitting on that device, whether it was any corporate comms, any IP, whatever it could be, we could do whatever we wanted. We could manage the device. In fact, we could even disable things on the, on the devices as well. We could disable the cameras. If we want, didn't want employees to be able to take photos on their devices, we could disable that through BlackBerry. We could even track it on location. We could do so many different things with BlackBerry Enterprise Service. It was an IT admin's dream. From a security point of view, from an enterprise management point of view, BlackBerry's made sense. So we loved them and we rolled them out like mad. They were a dime a dozen. People started to pick. So we started to offer the BlackBerry Pearl, which was that small type smartphone, but it had a roll, a rollable thing, which you would have sort of where your thumb goes on the phone and it would help you navigate the menu system. Really nice device, very, very popular. We then moved into BlackBerry Curve, which offered that full keyboard again, bigger, bigger color screen with that little ball that you could navigate around. And honestly, it was so smooth and simple. People loved them. They were so good and easy to manage. Now, at this point, at this point in time, we're talking about iPhone era. 2007, we're talking about iPhones starting to come to market. Now, you have to remember that when the iPhone first came to market, most people saw them as, as a gimmick. They were a toy. You know, for a lot of people, they, they put them in the category of, an, of a fancy iPod that could make phone calls. Yes, eventually they started to become apps. And this is where things started to shift a little bit, especially being in an IT environment in an enterprise. When we did see iPhones, they were cool, but they didn't belong in the workplace because they couldn't secure it. You couldn't get your corporate email on there. You didn't have these unlimited data plans. You couldn't have any of these amazing things. But what inevitably started to happen was people would bring them in and executives Maybe the managing director would bring one in and say, Jeff, I've got this iPhone. I really like it. I love the big screen. 
I know it doesn't have a physical keyboard, so I do find it harder to type. And generally, these are some of the words that I remember hearing. But I really like the size of the screen. And can you put my work email on here? The straight answer was no. You couldn't. How do we do that securely? We can't have that. And we used to push back on this kind of stuff. And eventually, for a number of reasons, that changed. Enterprise software became available for iPhones. There ended up being ways that you could deliver email securely on an iPhone. You could also lock them as well. But it was fascinating at that point in time when IT departments saw the iPhone or the iPad, it was not seen as a, as a threat to the BlackBerry or to the corporate enterprise devices that they were rolling out because they just didn't seem to have the same professionalism to it that and BlackBerry carried. They always had that reputation as a business phone. You want to do business, you need a BlackBerry. Now, at this point, things started to get very interesting. So in my perspective, the BlackBerry Bolt came out, probably their biggest device ever, 2008, the BlackBerry 9000. This was probably their most popular device. Compared to the Pearl, it'd be very, very close. This thing went bananas. It was that perfect feeling on the keyboard. I tell you, I tell you what, if you've never tried one, you've got to find somebody who's got one, call me, and you can try mine, and just type on it. Trust me, it's fast. Now, the other part too, actually, if you sent yourself an email and you had an iPad and you had a BlackBerry, you always received it first on the BlackBerry. But what's funny here is with the BlackBerry Bold, it had a two megapixel camera with a rear flash, no front facing camera. You couldn't take selfies with it. The iPhone started to be able to do that. But what else is interesting here is that it had a micro SD card slot. You could expand the memory. You couldn't do that on an iPhone. And while there was a music player available for BlackBerry, that was one of the excuses you always would tell people is you don't need the iPhone because you could play music. You can take photos. You can do what you want on the BlackBerry still. You don't need an iPhone to do those things. We've already got that except for the front facing camera, but that was never a business need that you needed to have one. But at this point in time was really when my, my career, while still in IT, it started to push a little bit into what you hear about today. So at this point, I started to do YouTube videos. I started to have my own YouTube channel talking about technology, reviewing things, talking about tech news, reviewing whatever I could get my hands on. And in fact, Blackberries were one of those types of devices. Blackberry is one of the first companies that I remember reaching out to me from a PR point of view. And they reached out to me for a couple of reasons. It made sense. I was in IT, I had a corporate background, but I was now doing consumer-facing tech videos. Um, it was interesting that in my first year or so of doing these types of videos, I started getting quoted on Telstra brochures advertising the latest BlackBerry because they would have me review the devices, ask if they could use quotes that I've used in those videos and publish it on Telstra ads. That was early on. That was 2008, 2009. And what was fascinating at this point was BlackBerry's market share was on decline. So from BlackBerry Bold onwards was when they really started to hemorrhage. They were around 40% of the smartphone market back then, and their competitors weren't exactly Apple. Um, it was more Nokia, Windows Phone, those kinds of devices. And they had a huge stranglehold on the market. But when iPhone came to, came to be and other devices, other brands started to spring up, but mostly Apple, you started to see the defense step in from BlackBerry trying to push back. I remember lawsuits in place. I remember advertising campaigns about what was a real business phone, what wasn't. Um, IT departments would push back. But at the end of the day, the executives, the business leaders were the ones who made the decisions. And if you have to remember, every business leader is a consumer first. So when their kid, their wife, whoever it is, gives them an iPad for Christmas or their birthday, they might enjoy using it just as an iPad. 
but they always brought it into the office and would ask the question, how can I get my email in here? And eventually, we just had to make that work. And once you started to do that, then, they, then the next question was, can you do this on my iPhone? Here, you can have my BlackBerry back. It was that simple. That started to happen more and more. And it was interesting. BlackBerry's response to this was very negative, very much on the defense, not really trying to compete. Their first real comp- competitive device or acknowledgement that they needed to do something different was the BlackBerry Storm. The BlackBerry Storm came in, it was a full screen device. It had no physical keyboard, but the screen was more of a tactile screen, which you could physically push in to select icons, but it didn't actually add anything really to the experience. Still no front facing camera, um, not, not much in the way of apps or anything like that. So it wasn't really addressing any of the needs. It was just making the screen bigger and removing the keyboard, which didn't make BlackBerry users happy, but certainly didn't attract um, people away from their iPhone to get back onto BlackBerry either. BlackBerry then continued. They brought out the BlackBerry Tour. This was another, I guess, a similar device to the BlackBerry Bold, just a screen with a keyboard um, and a trackpad in the middle. They then brought out the BlackBerry Bold 9700. That didn't change a lot either. And it just kept, kept on feeling like they weren't doing what they needed to do, which was really bring a device that competed with the iPhone. Because in all this time, year after year, Apple just continued to take market share. And it was a a period of five years that saw BlackBerry go from 40% to 5%. So this is what I'm talking about happening in a very small period of time, where a company which can be doing so well can just turn to complete nothing from not acknowledging what's happening in the market. The BlackBerry Pearl, which was another thin device, really beautiful phone, but it didn't do anything differently. It had a nicer screen. It still had a camera on the back, nothing on the front. It didn't have any apps. They weren't looking at the app ecosystem at that point still, probably not until the BlackBerry Torch. The BlackBerry Torch was trying to be a combo device. It was a device that had a slide up keyboard. Could be an all screen at the front. You could slide the keyboard up, reveal the physical keyboard that you could type on. Still, nothing on the front, not much in the way of apps. At this point, they started to have a simple app store where you could get certain apps like Facebook and things like that. You kind of met some of the needs, but it wasn't the fun device that people knew an iPhone being. Uh, It certainly wasn't as sexy as an iPhone. It didn't have the same brand appeal, and it was definitely not appealing to consumers yet. This was still a very business-focused device, and I guess BlackBerry held on to that uh, theory that business users will be business users and not a consumer as well. You know, when it came to your iPhone, you would happily have your personal and your work email on that one device. With BlackBerry, that wasn't really something you could do. Well, I mean, you could do it, but it wasn't something that they encouraged. It was all about, this is your work phone. Your work phone, if you want an iPhone, get an iPhone, but it stays in your pocket. It's a separate device. It still wasn't being acknowledged. And I remember at this point in time, I started to get invitations from BlackBerry to go overseas. And this is where it got interesting. I was a simple YouTuber. I wasn't you know, like an MKBHD sort of YouTuber, someone who's got millions of subscribers. Um, I was getting a nice amount of views, but it wasn't anywhere near some of the biggest names that you see out there. But back then, I still had a lot of nice things to say about BlackBerry. I still had a bit of a use case for BlackBerry. I still enjoyed using their products. I still was a user in some respects. I remember having an iPhone, but I remember still using BlackBerry quite a bit too. So I guess for them, I was kind of Oh, I guess I was a BlackBerry fanboy as much as I don't like to say that I ever would be, but I guess I was. I, I was loyal to the brand and they had loved that. And there wasn't many loyalists out there, especially ones that were making YouTube videos or being engaging or younger than 40 at the time. Um, so it was interesting for them. And I started to get these trips offered to me to go and be there for product launches. And one of the first ones that I was going to was the BlackBerry Bold Touch. This was around 2011. 
things are dire, things are not good. And then I'm getting these phone calls to go overseas. Uh, I went to Bangkok when they, I think they were announcing their um, new app ecosystem, the new operating system for the device as well. This is where they started to sponsor Formula One teams like Mercedes. I mean, great time to be sponsoring them as well. Um, Lewis Hamilton was was coming to the team around that point as well. I met Lewis Hamilton. I sat I sat with the guy. Uh, Alicia Keys was brought on as a brand ambassador. Um, I, I, we had a very private type concert with with her as well. And it was interesting going to these developer events where they would invite me to be there, almost like a worldwide developers conferences. But for, from a BlackBerry point of view, thousands of developers would come, and they were showing and trying to convince developers this is how easy it is to make apps for BlackBerry on our new um, platform. So they would invite anybody from who was making an app for iPhone or Android, they would invite them to these BlackBerry conferences to try and convince them to port their applications over to the new BlackBerry operating system. So BlackBerry OS was being launched. Um, it was already after iOS had launched, already while Android was, was in growth as well. And BlackBerry is really trying to convince them Support your apps. We can help you. We can make it easy. There was money in it, um, like huge cash amounts that if you bring your app ac- across, we'll give you $10,000. Um, I remember building an app for BlackBerry just to help. It was almost like an RSS feed type app from my YouTube account going into like a video app that people could download. And it took me five minutes to make it. You know, BlackBerry did make it very simple to create apps, but they were pushing. They were really pushing hard and trying to play catch up in a market that they used to dominate in. And it was sad to watch this, but at the same time, it was sad to see them looking at somebody like me to try and help them build their reputation again. Um, There was maybe three people from Australia who they picked from the media to go for these trips. Full business class trips, five-star hotels, incredible dinners, incredible experiences. Um, And I was a small YouTuber. They just weren't getting the traction from the media that they needed to try and prove they were still relevant. And it wasn't working. They then brought out the BlackBerry Z10. This was their biggest comeback device that they that they ever tried. It was called BlackBerry 10 as the operating system. The device was called the Z10. I have this device still. And it was interesting. I was invited to a dinner with the CEO of BlackBerry at the time. And we sat down for dinner and he handed out custom BlackBerry Z10 rear cases. These were there were 10 people in the room. There were 10 made. I have one still. And it was given to us. It was like this amazing thing. Wow, you've got this new device. You can do amazing things with it. And here is the CEO now handing out cases that you can put on this device and make it your own and completely unique. What was unique about this operating system was how they tried to integrate messaging, how they tried to actually do more in this operating system than even today I don't see in other operating systems. For example, a unified inbox, being able to see all my emails from any email account coming into one. They had that this was years and years ago. You could do that on this new BlackBerry device. One other thing that you could do, which I still haven't seen on other smartphones yet. Say, for example, you're taking a group shot. You click the button to take the photo. Maybe one person blinked. Maybe someone wasn't smiling. And maybe it all happened at different times. With the BlackBerry operating system 10, um, this was in 2013, you could click on the photo and you could click on individual faces in that photo. And you could literally turn your finger and draw a circle around them. And as you did that, it rewinded what they were doing just on their face at that point in time. So if somebody blinked, you would just click on their face, rewind their face, and it would take that blink away. But if another person had smiled and then not smiled when that person was blinking, you could rewind or fast forward their face if you needed to. That was incredible technology that was easily done on the BlackBerry Z10. We were in New York for that particular announcement. 
That was an amazing trip, an incredible, crazy trip. Um, that was in New York. We went to Florida for their developer event that year in Orlando, and that was incredible as well. Uh, we got to go to, I think it was Disneyland or Movie World, whatever the, the thing is over there. Um, crazy experiences, huge money. When we went to Orlando, yeah, it was. It was Orlando. What is the place there? Disney World, Disneyland. They booked out the entire section of a place where the rides were dedicated to the BlackBerry event. That was when Alicia Keys was performing. There was a couple of other bands that were performing. I didn't quite know who they were. Um, it was insane. All open bar, unlimited food, just the biggest parties that they could possibly throw at it. This again, full sponsorship into Formula One still. I believe they were sponsoring football teams as well at the time. It was going absolutely gangbusters. And after that, BlackBerry Q10 came out, another similar device to the Bold, but it still was not grabbing or changing people away from the iPhone. And later on, there was even a Q5, which was trying to be more consumer friendly um, and much cheaper device as well. By then, things really started to be lost on them, I think. BlackBerry Z30 came out. That was a much sexier device, had more of a carbon fiber look to it. Actually, it was a really nice phone, but it was too late. By then, every other device that they announced was kind of irrelevant. You, you used them, you tried them, you tested them. You would have been the only person seen in public with one. The dominance of other smartphone brands, Samsung, Apple, and others, had grown so much at that point that people looked at Blackberries by then as an afterthought. They were a once great device that lost their way. And when you look at the devices that they continued to bring out, they were so stuck on their loyal few that they forgot about how to try and capture a market. By continuing to release devices that had a physical keyboard on it would please the few loyal fans, but it didn't convert anybody back. Their delay into moving into an app store was extraordinary. Their, their pushback of having e-reader apps, music apps, you know, being able to download songs onto your phone. Um, when Spotify came out, actually being able to get that app onto your device was hard. There was huge efforts to convince companies like Instagram before they were bought by Facebook to develop Instagram for BlackBerry. It just didn't happen. There were people trying to make apps that would kind of allow you to post to Instagram from your BlackBerry, even though it wasn't an official Instagram app. They would do anything they could to try and make it work. And whenever I went to a BlackBerry launch, that was always the biggest problem. Any apps that by then were in the app world. So by then, everyone would ask those questions. What are you going to do about these? And they would always say, we're working with local developers. We're trying to convince you know, these developers to come and make apps for us as well. It just wasn't working. It was far too late. They could have done what Apple did months before them, years before them. They were doing, they were doing things in smartphones that no one else was doing. Had they recognized the iPhone as a competitor earlier on, they could have squashed it before it got to something big. Not necessarily squashed it, but BlackBerry could potentially still be relevant today. Now, as a BlackBerry fanboy, or I guess as someone who was a BlackBerry fanboy, it's sad to see what's happened in the last week where the BlackBerry services have been shut down. That system that allows BlackBerry devices to connect to a BlackBerry network is no longer. So while BlackBerry has since sold on to, I think, TCL, and you will find BlackBerry devices still available in some countries, they are not the BlackBerry that we used to know, and they are just a badge. They are just a logo on a phone. They usually run Android now, and they try and put a skin on top of it. Um, you can do secure mail with any other phone now. Um, corporates have moved on to plenty of other um, systems that allow you to do very, very secure mail in the same sense as what we used to do with BlackBerry. Um, data plans are no longer an issue, and people just wanted devices that could do more than just be used for work purposes. The world changed, BlackBerry didn't. 
BlackBerry certainly threw money at trying to make it work, but it was far too late. They were so focused on their few consumers, they forgot about what became the majority. And unfortunately, I guess what probably would have happened to Kodak or Blockbuster was that they thought they could just continue doing what they were doing forever and ever and that no one else would want to do anything different ever. It was crazy. So again, with BlackBerry, sad to see it happen, sad to see the end of these things, um, a label as popular as they were, gone, effectively gone. And I could open a museum on the amount of BlackBerry devices that I still have. Um, Most of them probably still work if I tried to plug them into a charger and turn them on. Uh, But the reality is that that's the end of BlackBerry. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been an incredible audience. You haven't spoken up once or interrupted me once or told me to shut up about BlackBerry. Um, We probably won't talk about them much ever again. But I tell you, there are still some features on their phones that are yet to come to other smartphones. So maybe there's a pattern outstanding. Maybe there's something still waiting. But at some point, we'll probably talk about them because someone else is starting to finish off what they had left behind. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. I'll speak to you again next week on Technology Uncorked. Bye-bye.